We do appreciate everyone's presence this morning. You might have noticed in your daily Bible reading as you uh, go through the scriptures, every now and then you'll come across a passage that kind of gives a good, though brief, summary of what God expects from us, of, of what our duties are. And over the last couple of weeks, we looked at some of those passages, a couple of them. We began in Deuteronomy chapter 10, and beginning in verse 12, Now Israel, what does the Lord require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today for your good. And so there, there's a, a pretty good summary of what the Lord expects from us. It's, it's sort of general, not a lot of detail, but summarizes what we're required to do, to fear God, to walk in his ways, to serve him, to love him, to keep his commandments. And then last week we looked at the 34th Psalm, beginning in verse 11, where David says, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? And so, who wants to live a good life? Here, here's what you need to do. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And so again, a, a kind of a summary of what we're expected to do, of what the Lord requires of us. And again, as you read through your daily reading, you may come across these passages, not a lot of detail, but just sort of a summary, a generalization of what the Lord requires of us. We're going to look at another one of these today. We're going to look at a few in the weeks to come. Now, I have to give credit where credit is due. It's, it's Wes Smith that brought these passages to my attention. And I've, I've added a few to the ones that he has suggested and changed the list a little bit. But I thought, wow, that's a great idea. Just to take these passages that summarize our duty, summarize our responsibility to the Lord, kind of look at them one by one and draw from them what God expects from us. And as we do that, we can think about our lives, make sure our lives conform to, to these things. We're going to look at another one of these this morning. Go to the book of Proverbs. One of our duties as parents is to prepare our children for life to come. That is, when they leave home, when they go out and make their own way in the world, when they get a job, have a family, raise their own families, we, we, we need to prepare them for leaving home. Some of us have experienced that. Some of us are about to experience that in the very near future. And for others it might be some, some time to come, but, but all of us who are parents have that obligation. Well, what would you say to your son? You know, if he's uh, about to get on the plane or about to get on the train, to go into the new part of the country and make his own way in the world. What would you say to him? What advice would you give him? What would you warn him about? What would you tell him to do? Or if your daughter was about to leave home, what, what would you tell her? I was mindful of this particular passage in, this is in Hamlet. Polonius is the father, and he's giving advice to Laertes, his son. He's about to leave home. He's going to France. And this is what he tells them. You'll, you'll recognize this. Yet here, Laertes, aboard, aboard. The wind sits in the shoulder of your sail, 
and these few precepts in thy memory look thou character. Be sure to do the things that I'm telling you to do. Give thy thoughts to no tongue, or give thy thoughts no tongue, nor any un unproportioned thought his act. Be thou familiar, but by no means vulgar. Those friends thou hast, and their adoption tried, grapple them unto thy soul with hoops of steel. I like that. You get a good friend, and he's proven himself to be a, a true friend. You, you grapple him, you bind him to yourself with hoops of steel. You want to hang on to him. There are not that many good friends in the world. Beware of entrance to a quarrel, but being in, bear it that the opposed may beware of thee. Now, avoid quarrels if you can, but if you got to get in one, you make sure the guy was sorry that he tangled with you. Paraphrasing, of course. Bear, uh, then the next to last line. Give every man thine ear, but few thy voice. Take each man's censure, but reserve thy judgment. Neither a borrower nor a lender be, for loan oft loses both itself and friend. This above all, to thine own self be true. And it must follow as the night the day, thou canst not then be false to any man. Pretty good advice, isn't it? Now, be careful who your friends are. If you get a good friend, you hang on to him. Be slow to speak. Don't be out there giving your opinion all over the place. You gotta reserve what you have to say. Be careful with your money. Neither a borrower nor a lender be. You know, if you lend money, you end up losing your money and your friends. And then to your own self, to that own self, be true. Pretty good advice. But I think we can do better. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, can I have a situation where it seems that a, a father is giving his son some advice. And so just think about it in these terms. The son about to leave home, go off, make his own way in the world. And the father is telling him, as you go out, make your own way. Or here's what you want to do. Do this and, and don't do that. Now there are six statements that we're going to look at as we look at verses 1 through 12. And we'll highlight those as we go through. The first section says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life, and peace they will add to you. And so the first thing the father says to the son is, Don't forget my teaching. Now listen to what I have to say. Listen to the advice that I'm going to, to give you. Let your heart keep my commandments. If you want to live a good long life, if you want to prosper, if you want to have well-being, remember what, what I'm saying to you. And so the, the parent is simply emphasizing to the child that I've been trying to teach you and train you and bring you up through these years. I've done the very best that I can do. If you'll remember what I'm telling you, well, things will go well. And this kind of statement is not unusual in the book of Proverbs. In fact, look at chapter 1 and verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forget your mother's teaching. Chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words my, and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding, and so forth. And so again, receive my words. Treasure my commandments within you. Chapter 3 and verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And, and so it's, it's similar to what <laughs> our experience. I'm telling you again and again and again, listen to what 
listen to what I have to say. And if you listen to what I have to say, well, things will go well for you. Long life is sometimes associated with, with this exhortation. Listen to my advice if you want to live long and prosper. In this particular past, it will bring you peace, shalom, well-being, a well-ordered life. Not only freedom from hardship, but happiness and contentment and satisfaction and harmony in your life. If you want those things, listen to my advice. Young children in the audience, if you want these things, peace, harmony, contentment, happiness, satisfaction, listen to what your parents have to say. I know there comes a time in life when you want independence. Children want to think for themselves and do for themselves. But in thinking for yourself and doing for yourself, if you can remember the advice that your parents gave you, well then things are much more likely to go well. Let's talk a little bit about parental advice to children. Their parents are not perfect. If, if you're a child, you know, beyond the age of 12, you, you already know that, don't you? Parents are not perfect. They don't claim to be. They don't know everything. But I tell you, they have a great deal of experience. They have a lot of life experience. And they've learned from that experience. Now, some of the experience is because they've chosen poorly in life. They've made some mistakes. They've sometimes made some bad mistakes. They don't want you to make the same mistake. And so they, they warn you, don't do this. Now, they might not say explicitly, don't do like I've done. They may simply say, don't do this. I know this is a mistake. But they've learned that from their own experience. Sometimes they make good choices. Now, I'll tell you what, if you'll do this, this, and this, it's, it's very likely this will be the result. So they've, they've made some good choices in life. They've learned from that, and they're able to pass that advice and that experience on to their own children. If I have a job to do, and I, I've never done it before, I haven't done it very much, say I've got some kind of work around the house that I need to do, let's say some plumbing. I've won the award for several years in a row now, worst plumber in America. But, but let's say I've got some plumbing to do, and I'm not really very good, I've never done it before, it would be foolish of me not to seek the advice of a plumber who's been doing it for 35 years if I had access to him. You know, your parent has been living 35, 40 years, accumulating all this experience. A young child about to go out and make his way in the world has little experience. Why wouldn't you seek the advice of the more experienced person? Well, it only makes sense, doesn't it? And so, no, your parents are not perfect. They don't know everything, but they have lots of life experience. Sometimes they make good choices. Sometimes they've made bad choices. But they've learned from all of them. And they're able to share the benefit of that experience with you. And they want to. They're willing to. Parenting is a work in progress. Parents are trying their best to use their knowledge to guide you so that you'll be successful it may come as news, but your parents want you to be successful. <laughs> They're not trying to hold you down. They're not trying to restrict you from succeeding. They understand that there are some things that are going to impede that success. And so they warn you about that. They're trying to use their knowledge so that you'll be successful. They've had zero experience raising you before. 
Now you might have older children they, they got experience raising those children, but you're, you're the first time that they've raised you. And so, if you'll understand that, and you'll work with them, well, things will go a lot better for you. And so you're patient with your parents as they're trying to use their experience to teach you. You listen to them, you heed their advice, you benefit from it, things are going to go well. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, you might remember Paul says to children, obey your parents in the Lord, he says, for this is light. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And so, and so listen to your parents, not perfect, don't know everything. You know, they're, they're, they're doing their best to raise you so that you'll be successful. If you understand that, obey them, work with them, well then you'll be the beneficiary. I've said it many times before, but I'll say it again. Nobody loves you as much as your parents do. All right? Nobody, nobody <laughs> loves you like your parents do. Nobody wants to see you succeed as much as your parents want you to succeed. And they're doing everything within their power to put you in a position to do that. And so listen to them. Learn from them. Remember what they teach you. If you have parents that are teaching you, first of all, serve God. Be kind and thoughtful. Help others. Work hard. Manage your money well. Obey the law. If you've got a parent that's trying to teach you to do those things, well then, be appreciative of that. Pay attention. Learn what they're trying to teach you. And it'll go well. My son, do not forget my teaching. <laughs> Don't forget my teaching. Because it'll serve you well in the long run. The second section that we're going to look at, the second little paragraph here, begins there in verse 3. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Now I'm reading from New American Standard Bible. There are other versions read a little bit differently. These words, kindness and truth, have a pretty broad range of meaning. It's a little bit difficult to select the English word that will convey the precise meaning of the Hebrew word here. So the New King James Version says, mercy and truth in the place of kindness and truth. The English Standard Version says, steadfast love and faithfulness. The NIV says, love and faithfulness. The idea may be that the son is to develop loyalty and faithfulness. Both of these are attributes of God. In fact, if you go back to the book of Exodus chapter 34 and see God's own description of himself, you'll, you'll find these two words. Verse 6 says, The Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. There's our words, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, and yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. So these are attributes of God. And what the writer is encouraging his son and thereby encouraging us to do is make them qualities of our own as well. The 115th Psalm verse 1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, 
but to your name give glory because your loving kindness and because of your truth. And so develop kindness and truth or loyal love and faithfulness. The first word, loyal love or love or kindness, it includes all of that, loyalty and love. Sometimes it may be the loyalty that's emphasized. Sometimes it might be the love that's emphasized. Translated in the King James Version with the word mercy. It's that quality that we find in the 136th Psalm. His loving kindness or his mercy endures forever. Verse after verse after verse in that particular psalm. I like this observation about this word by a commentator who says, this refers to the disposition of loving sympathy with others which rests upon the feeling of brotherhood, the feeling that all men are of like nature, creatures of the same God. Let's think about that. Let's break that down a little bit. This quality is the disposition of loving sympathy with others which rests on the feeling of brotherhood. And so I love my brother. He's my brother. These people out here, those people out there, we're all creatures from the same God. It's my brother. And so I have loving sympathy for him, and that results in a desire to help him. Whatever way possible, physically, emotionally, intellectually, socially, spiritually. And so I'm committed to the well-being of others because they're like me, creatures of the same God. Loyal love. Develop loyal love for your fellow man. The other word translated here, truth or faithfulness, conveys the idea of certainty and dependability, hence truth. Some, but sometimes faithfulness, again, has a range of meaning. It's the opposite of hypocrisy and pretense. It is being what one portrays himself to be. All right? Being what one portrays himself to be. He's a true person. He's genuine. He's not a hypocrite. And so he proves himself reliable and trustworthy because when you see him, you see him. You see what he is. You see his character. He's not pretending to be something he's not. And so you can depend on him. He's trustworthy. He's reliable. He's honest in all his relations with others. It reminded me of Jesus' statement about Nathaniel in John chapter 1 and verse 47. Remember that? Sees Nathaniel. And he says, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. It's the only truth in, in Nathaniel. He's, he's an honest person. When you see Nathaniel, when you see him presenting himself to you, that, that's who he is. He's not pretending to be something he's not. He tells you the truth. You have a true portrayal of his character as you watch his behavior. And so develop that quality. Loyal love and faithfulness. Now a good thing about a context like this, when it comes to these kind of words that have a broad range of meaning, we, we don't have to choose just one. He's saying develop yourself in all of these aspects involved in these words. He goes on to say, bind them around your neck. Now why would you do that? Bind them around your neck. Well, you know what? I don't know how many times it happens to me. I, I got something in my hand. I go in the, a, a room. I put it down. I leave the room and everything. Well, what, what did I do with that? Where, where is that thing? You know, I lose it. Or, you know, I got it in my pocket. I empty my pockets. I'm, I'm, 
But if it's around your neck, if you bind it around your neck, it's going to be with you all the time. You're not going to put it down somewhere. It's not going to fall out of your pocket. You take these qualities, kindness and truth, loyal love and faithfulness, you tie them around your neck, and they're going to be with you all the time. It's good advice, isn't it? The third section is here in the next few verses, back in Saul, uh, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Proverbs 3, verse 5. And really, I, I think this is the heart of the passage, isn't it? I mean, this is really the core. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Acknowledge the Lord, not yourself. This is a kind of an example of the two paths sort of approach to teaching. There are two paths. You can go on this one, or you can go on this one. There's a straight way and a narrow way. There's a broad way and an easy way. There are two paths. Well, here are two paths. You can rely on your own understanding. That's one path. Or you can trust in the Lord and acknowledge Him. That's the other path. And so he encourages him, trust in the Lord. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. And that's how you're going to find benefit. Trust the Lord. As you go out into the world and make your way in the Lord, depend on the Lord. Recognize that His way is the best way. Follow His guidance. Practice His instruction. And things will go well. Trust in the Lord. Recognize His way is the best way. Follow His direction. And things will go well for you. Now, that's not permission to live recklessly, is it? And so sometimes people may say, they may make just, just terrible decisions, just horrendous decisions, just, just reckless living, irresponsible living, and just say, well, you know, I just trust the Lord's going to work everything out. That, that's not what he's saying, is it? <laughs> that's almost making trial of the Lord, isn't it? No, no, that's not the idea. It means, trusting in the Lord means to walk in his way. Now that's where we began in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. What does the Lord require of you? Fear the Lord your God to walk in his ways and love him. And so to trust the Lord means to walk in his way, to conform our lives to his will. Even when, perhaps especially when, we don't understand how walking in his way is going to work to our benefit. I just don't see how in this situation being honest is going to work to my benefit, you know. We might get into situations like that and tempted not to be honest. But trust in the Lord with all your heart. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and things are going to go well for you. And so we tell the truth in that situation, trusting that that's the right thing and the best thing to do. And, of course, it will be. How many times does a parent tell a child, now look, I want you to do this, and I want you to do it like this. Well, why, Daddy? I don't see why. Look, you just trust me. Just trust me. If you do this and you do it like this, you'll get a good outcome. And if you want to just go your own way and make it up as you go, well, now, now, you know, that's on you. But I'm just telling, if you trust me, do it the way I ask you to do it, things will go well. So in all of our ways... In religion, in business, in relationships, in community, in all of our ways we acknowledge Him. Now that's one path. The other path 
It's to rely on our own understanding. Do not depend on your own understanding. A lot of people try this way and it doesn't work out well for them. Why should I not lean on my own understanding? Well, one reason is I, I can't even predict what's going to happen before today ends. I, I can't even tell you what's going to happen for the rest of the day, much less the rest of the week, the month, and the years to come. I have a very limited knowledge of the future, and so I can't lean on my own understanding. Secondly, it's impossible for me to see all the important factors in a situation. I just can't see that this is going to have a bearing and this is going to have a bearing. So my understanding of the situation is limited. I don't understand what others are going to do. We're all like that. I don't understand why people do the things they do, you know. And so why would I lean on my own understanding when I don't understand what others are going to do? In fact, I don't even understand why I do what I do sometimes. Don't lean on your own understanding. It's too limited. And certainly, I don't know the consequences of my actions accurately. And I can predict some of them, but not all of them. Sometimes there are unforeseen consequences. So we have severe limitations. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Now that takes some humility, doesn't it? That takes some humility to say, you know, I don't know it all. I, I, I don't have it all figured out. I'm just going to trust the Lord's way is the best way. Which brings us then to our fourth section. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It'll be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Don't be wise in your own eyes. You know, it seems that God is especially displeased with the arrogant. And that idea is reflected throughout the scriptures. Some of the scriptures here in the book of Proverbs. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. The very first one haughty eyes. Six things are, uh, the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination. The very first one on the list has to do with pride and haughtiness and thinking of ourselves above what we ought to think. Peter tells us to clothe ourselves with humility in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 13, we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we should. Thinking highly of ourselves has little to do with our circumstances in life. Has little to do with wealth, for example. There are rich people who are very humble. There are people who don't have much who are very proud, who think very highly of themselves and are wise in their own eyes. Doesn't have very much to do with formal education. There are people with multiple PhDs. They're very humble. And there are people that didn't go to school at all. Very wise in their own eyes. What we want to do is see ourselves the way God sees us. That's really what we want to do. And that's what we need to ask God to help us do. Help us to see ourselves the way you see us. And if we can do that, we'll see that we do have value. You know, we, we, don't, we don't want to 
be wise in our own eyes, but we don't want to think of ourselves as worthless and nothing to offer and no good and no value. That would be a mistake. Satan has defeated that person. But on the other hand, we don't want to be wise in our own eyes. We want to see our weaknesses and faults so that we can correct them. And we want to see what we would do well so that we can use those things and strengthen those and use them to, to the good of others. Be humble enough to see yourself as you truly are. Faults and weaknesses, be humble enough to receive instruction, to seek advice. Don't be too proud to seek some advice. And especially receive God's instruction and His advice. And then the next paragraph says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord from your wealth. Do with your money what pleases God. You might think, well, how can I please God with my money? God is a spirit. What's he going to do with my material money? So how do we honor God with our money? Well, I thought, you know, this passage is written to people who live under the law of Moses. They live under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. They would have honored God with their material things when they sacrificed the best in their sacrifices to God. Through their tithes and offerings, they would have honored God with their wealth. Through the gift of precious things, valuable articles, their gold, their armless, their bracelets, their rings, their earrings, all given to Moses for the construction of the tabernacle and its furnishings. And so they would have been honoring God by giving these things to God's glory to be used in God's work and purpose. But they would also honor the Lord with their wealth by doing with it what the Lord asked them to do. For example, leaving the corners of their field, not harvesting the fruit that fell to the ground by itself, leaving that behind for the poor. Now they could harvest that and reap the benefit or they could pick up the fruit and sell it and get the money. But you see, the Lord said not to do that. So they'd be honoring the Lord when they follow God's will for their money. What's our attitude toward our wealth? Do we think about it selfishly? It's mine, it's all mine, and nobody else's. You know, the story of the rich young ruler teaches us that People will give up almost anything except their wealth. <laughs> so he was willing to do the commandments. Just wasn't willing to part with his wealth. And we shouldn't think that he's the only one like that. Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Do we honor the Lord with our wealth? Do we support the Lord's cause in the world on about first day of the week contributions? And so, and so we take the money, we support the preaching of the gospel, the advance of the gospel in the world by supporting gospel preachers. And so, and so that's how we honor the Lord with our wealth through our first day of the week contribution. We honor the Lord by using our wealth as he instructs us to use it. I think about 1 Timothy chapter 6, right at the end of that first letter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, where Paul addresses the rich. Listen to what he has to say to them in verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. We honor the Lord with our wealth when we do with our money what the Lord would have us to do with it. 
being willing to share, being generous and thoughtful of the needs of others. Notice that the passage here in Proverbs chapter 3 says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. That's consistent throughout the scriptures, isn't it? The first. When it comes to sacrifice, you offer the best. Not the lame, not the sick, not the blind, but you take the best. The perfect lamb. And here you offer to the Lord the first fruits, the first of your produce. Not what's, less, not, not what's left over, but the first of it. You know what the secret of doing that is? 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5. They first gave themselves to the Lord. Give yourself to the Lord first, and then you can give the first of what you've got. The next paragraph says, Do not reject the discipline of the Lord. Uh, we'll read the rest of that. Don't loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves and reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. It has to do with discipline, the discipline, the correction of the Lord. When a child misbehaves, a loving parent will discipline her or discipline him in order to correct his or her behavior. A loving parent will do that. So they want you to succeed. And if they see you going down a path which will result in not success, they're going to discipline that. They're going to correct that. And they may have to punish you because of your behavior that's going to lead you away from success, maybe even ultimately to, to failure. And so the goal of correction is to teach the child right from wrong, good from evil, to direct him away from harmful behavior to beneficial behavior. And just as a loving parent disciplines his child, the Lord disciplines his children. In fact, whom the Lord loves, the passage says, he reproves. You remember the comment that the Hebrews writer makes about that. The, the child that doesn't receive any correction is an illegitimate child, not a true child. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. And so a, a loving parent will discipline a misbehaving child. The Lord loves us, and so when he sees us going astray, he's going to discipline us. In what form? How does the Lord discipline us? Well, here are some ways, I think. Through a guilty conscience educated by the Word of God. And so I've learned the Word of God. I'm doing something wrong. Now I've got a, now I've got a guilty conscience that's bothering me because I've been instructed by the Word. The Lord is disciplining us. He's correcting us through that guilty conscience through a passage of scripture that we read, through a statement from a sermon or a class. The Lord disciplines us through a parent's rebuke, trouble from the teacher or administrator. The Lord disciplines us when the policeman pulls us over and gives us a speeding ticket and we have to pay a fine. If we're paying attention, we're going to learn the lesson. It's discipline. And if we misbehave and break the law seriously enough, it may result in a jail sentence or some jail time. Don't neglect the discipline of the Lord. He's trying to teach you something. A close call, an injury, an illness, a difficult circumstance in life. All, all of these can serve to correct our behavior and discipline us, get us back into the way that we need to go. 
regardless of the form, the point is that we're not to reject these lessons. Ever known a child that does exactly that? He's rebellious, he's stubborn, the parent tries to discipline the child, it just makes the child mad and even more rebellious. Well, there are people like that. And so they do what they want to do, they get into trouble, the Lord is trying to get them back on the way they ought to go, they just get mad and more rebellious. Don't reject the discipline of the Lord. He's trying to teach you something. Pay attention. Learn the lesson. And uh, you'll be better off for it. Well, our time's out. Here are the benefits of following this advice. We didn't spend a lot of time on those. But he says, you'll receive length of days, years of life, and peace. You'll find favor and good reputation with God and man. Your paths will be straight. You'll have healing to the body and refreshment to the bones. Your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats overflowing with new wine. You'll be the recipient of God's love. It's going to go well with you if you follow the advice. If you ignore the advice, it may not go well at all. If you follow the advice, things will go well. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful that we have the opportunity to come together to, today and to worship you, to sing these songs of praise and adoration, uh, which you are so deserving of. We acknowledge, Father, your greatness, your power, your glory, your dominion, your might. We're thankful, Father, for your love and mercy and compassion. We're thankful especially for the gift of your Son, Jesus, that he came into this world that he atoned for our sins through his blood shed on the cross, that he's shown us the way to live. We're thankful, Father, for your word, that we have access to it. We're thankful that we can read it and understand it, that, that in it we see the advice that we need to live a life that's both good here and now, and of course, one that pleases you and that will prepare us for life eternal. Father, help us to Think seriously about the things that we've said this morning. Put these things into practice. Follow them, especially, Father, to trust in you with all of our heart, to acknowledge you in all of our ways. Help us, Father, not to lean on our own understanding. It's so, it's so dangerous, so uncertain. Following your will and your word, Father, will make our path straight. Go with us throughout the rest of this day and provide the things we need. Watch over us. Direct us in your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.